Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. And we are recording. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again. And um, it's a nice day out there. Good day to get out and go take a walk in the woods and look for some animals, which is what we're talking about today. Um, this happens a lot with us, like in January, when there's not a whole lot going on. Um, we tend to send one of our re- writers, journalists, reporters out into the woods to see what they can find. So this week, we're going to be talking about the birds of the East End. And um, it's interesting. I mean, having been out here for, you know, two decades or more, um, you can definitely see that the weather is changing. And, and the question that we had was, are the bird, is the bird life changing as well? Like as climate change um, settles in, do we see different winter visitors here? There's some here that weren't here before. Are there some that aren't leaving? That sort of thing. So that's the topic today. So back at the recording board today is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here's Catherine Gimenu. AKA Georgie. Hey, Georgie. <laughs> hey, Annette. It's Georgie. I'm one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us again is Brian Boyhan. And Brian was the longtime publisher and editor of the Sag Harbor Express. He's now sort of in his um, taking it easy sort of mode, I guess. Is that what we would say, Brian? Sure, yeah. Uh, but we love to pull him into these stories where he gets to go wander in the woods and um, talk about nature because that's his thing. Right, Brian? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so this week's story uh, in my art section actually sent you out into the woods with Terry Sullivan, who is a Sag Harbor resident and a longtime birding advocate. Uh, he gets out and does a lot of nature watching. And so I think you did a, a nice walk out in Barcelona Neck in Sag Harbor with Terry to see what kind of winter birds you could find. And then you also talked to Frank Clavedo from the Southport Natural History Society about what's going on with our bird population. And um, just wondered what you found, what you saw, what you learned. Well, uh, this is, so uh, I, fortunately for me, I'm married to a woman who is much more connected to uh, nature than I ever have been. And she has been a lifelong avid birder. So most of what I have learned of the natural world, I have learned through her. And um, you want to say her name because you didn't even give her credit with her name. <laughs> Ellen Stahl, um, who is a retired RN and mother to our wonderful daughter, Maggie. So uh, much of what I've learned, I've learned from Ellen. And uh, I've learned a great appreciation for uh, birds and wildlife, much more so than I ever had. So in any event, Terry and I took a walk just kind of to see what we could see one afternoon. And uh, I talked to him about some of the trends that he may have seen over the past, say, decade or so, some of which are attributable to climate change, some to habitat change. And this is uh, this time of year is really the, the, the biggest change you'll see out here is the, uh, the seabirds and waterfowl that winter over, eiders, grebes, scoters. Those are all kind of duck-like, right? Yeah, waterfowl. Uh huh. Yeah. So if it looks like a duck, it floats like a duck, right? Uh, yes. 
yeah, okay. we have mostly uh, typically here a year-round basis. We have mallards, of course, and uh, some wood ducks. But during the uh, the winter migration, we get a lot of the uh, the shorebirds that come down from the north. Many of them decide to stay and winter over in uh, in the Hamptons. Others continue down further south. And um, what we learned this year, and Frank Cavedo is, uh, in addition to being the director of the South Fork Natural History Museum, also an avid birder. Both Frank Cavedo and uh, uh, Brent Baumkamp uh, both said that this was the worst year for waterfowl uh, out by us at Montauk uh, in, in 30 years. And a part of that is a result of, of global warming. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because both men, uh, I think, agree that there's not a decrease in population. It's just that the birds aren't traveling. You know, with the warmer winter, this winter in particular, very, very mild December, uh, early part of January, it's really only the past week that we felt like really winter temperatures. The birds haven't had a reason to fly. Uh, they're up in, you know, Canada or whatever, and it's uh, their uh, areas where they can find food, their streams, their ponds, their lakes are open. So as Frank Vado mentioned, migration is an extraordinarily excruciating experience for birds. Uh, it's very, very stressful. A statistic I wasn't aware of, he said probably about 50 birds that start out, start out migrating each year never make it because of stresses, starvation, uh, flight, exhaustion, flying into buildings, hunters. Um, so as he was saying, you know, if the birds don't have to make that trip, then they're not going to. You know, when it puts mm. them in a better position come springtime, that when those birds who did leave decide to come back, well, hey, those guys that stick, stuck around in Saskatchewan, uh, they're going to be in a better position for the best spots around the uh, ponds and lakes. That's interesting. That is. But I guess it's, a, it's probably really hard, though, to to know from the numbers if the population, like that's, I think, a kind of scary thing is that when they do these counts, if the numbers are down, yeah, they can say, oh, they just didn't come down here because the weather's okay for them up north. But no one's going to really know. You know, I feel like those Christmas bird counts were so reliable in the past because they they it kind of gave them a realistic picture of how the population's doing. And now, you know, you can guess that the population's doing fine because a bunch of birds stayed up north. But I, I just would think that there's no way to really prove that, right? Well, I think if there is, and, and I don't know enough about it, I think if the Audubon if they're doing a bird count uh, in Maine, or if they're doing a bird count in Canada, well, that's going to account for the missing birds down in Hampton Bay. We'll have to see if they do that. That would be interesting. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, this is all sponsored by the Audubon Society, and I know they do it all over the country. I'm not sure if they do it in Canada as well. Are there some new species that we're getting down here that we've never seen before? Uh, that I've never seen before. Uh, or very rarely. Yeah, so there's a couple, not uh, not waterfowl. Well, yes, there is. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, so just so your listeners are aware, what we're talking about here largely are waterfowl that we normally don't see here on a year-round basis. They only come out here during the winter. The eiders, the scoters, the loons have become very popular. The eiders in particular have uh, made a very big, strong showing in the past couple of years. Buffleheads, those kind of birds. 
two birds in particular that they've started to notice that we had never really seen around here before. One is kind of a meadow or woodland bird, a, a yellow rumped warbler, which uh, Terry said he has seen uh, a couple of times. Uh, he said he saw about a half a dozen of them, and uh, both Frank and um, Brent said that that's an unusual bird to see, but they have noted in the past couple of years. And then the other bird, and this kind of speaks to the notion of migration, is the Western, uh, I'll find it in my notes while we're talking, uh, but the uh, yellow rumped warbler is, uh, as its name would imply, a, um, uh, a warbler uh, that looks like a warbler in every other way. It has kind of like the yellow chevron blazes on its wings, uh, but it also has a notable yellow spot on its uh, rump, henceforth the name yellow rumped warbler. Um, and then this other bird is, is, is the Western, and I'm gonna look it up as we're talking. Uh, and it's a bird that normally is not seen east of the Mississippi River. And once or twice you could consider it a fluke, but this bird has been really, uh, has been spotted I think seven times now during the, uh, during the bird count. And it's making kind of like a west to eastern migration and uh, started out going down into Florida. It's the Western Kingbird, which is a, a large flycatcher uh, normally found west of the Mississippi. And um, it's been spotted as far as Montauk. Well, it's, it's odd that it's west, west to east, because I think when you think about you know, warming temperatures, climate change, or whatever you're thinking about birds that are more south coming, coming more north. That's correct. Is there an explanation for the west to east? Anybody have any guesses on, on why that's happening? Or Well, the, uh, uh, this particular warbler started moving into Florida. So yes, so, oh. so you're... you're so, it's coming, so it went to Florida, now, now it's coming it's up. It's moving up further north. So uh, you're correct because most people think of migration as being a north to south thing. And there are four primary corridors in the United States uh, where birds will migrate north to south. So this is kind of an anomaly. And um, the Western Kingbird, which has been spotted seven times now, uh, is apparently going to uh, become a regular presence out here, especially in the winter. Have to have to give it a new name. It's no longer the Western. Right. It's sort of like the coyote, which is now, uh, there's the eastern coyote. Right. So, right. Brian, did you see any of these birds? Like, what did you get to see when you were out with Terry? And I know it's like birding is one of those weird things that, like, the more you do it, the more you can just spot stuff. Like, I was out with Al Daniels, who's an incredible birder, and Terry, one time doing a story. And we were standing by the side of his car. He's like, there it is. I see it. There's a heron in that tree. Like, what are you looking at? Like, I stared and stared and couldn't see what he was looking at um whether it was there i don't know you know does he see dead people i don't know uh, but i think he does too. <laughs> uh, but i'm just wondering what you were able to spot when you were out with terry and were there some new ones for you so uh not a a whole heck of a lot uh as um as both terry and frank cavado said uh, bird watching is something where you might go out there and see all sorts of stuff or see nothing when we were walking through the woods and kind of uh, Annette, what you were saying is that you get a, you get kind of trained to see things and you look for things. 
And Terry was looking up at the trees. We were in kind of a wooded section of, of Barcelona neck. And he goes, um, boy, all the shapes in the trees, the lumps, the curves. And he stood there and looked, nope, doesn't look like anything here is gonna fly away. So we went down by the water. We walked all the way up to the top of Northwest Creek and where we started seeing, of course, all the waterfowl. And um, uh, of course, swans and, and, uh, and um, mallards. Uh, but also a couple of um, uh, uh, bufflehead and um, a, a bird that is now known as the long-tailed duck that for many, many years was known as, the, as an old squaw. And uh, because of um, uh, political correctness, uh, several years ago, uh, ornithologists all agreed to change the name of the bird from old squaw to uh, long-tailed ducks. So we saw uh, quite a few of those. I've been hearing a lot of gunshots out on Northwest Creek. I was out there the other day, so. Um... Well, that little squadron of old squaw or long-tailed ducks that we saw flying out were spooked by a, a shotgun um, over on the mm -hmm. east side of Northwest Creek. Yeah, there's a lot of those duck blinds out there. So this is the time. Yeah, so I well, guess you gotta be careful when one is out looking for ducks. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, keep your head up. Yeah. Uh, I've walked over there and hear and heard a gunshot on the other side, and then all all of a sudden you could hear this like little rain of pellets coming down. Uh. <laughs> One time we were actually out on the peninsula there, and there was these ducks sitting there, and I, and I was like, oh, that looks like a scoter. And we heard some laughing, and some guys were in a duck fly nearby, like, oh, is that what kind of duck that is? It was one of their decoys. <laughs> <laughs> The other cool thing is, um, I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about the snowy owl, which is probably one of the flashiest winter visitors we get, and people just sort of flock to go to see the snowy owls around here. No, no pun, no pun intended. They flock to see them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the snowy owl, uh, and Brent Baumkamp mentioned that. Yeah, it's a great bird. It's uh, it's also the bird that's probably most gotten people into birding because it is such a spectacular looking animal. They're big for one thing. And Ellen, my wife and I were out two weeks ago and we took a ride out uh, by Dune Road going towards the inlet. And we stopped and we kind of wandered around a little bit. And uh, sure enough, right up there in the dunes was this big snowy owl, white, you know, it's kind of like this buff white colored. It has these very haunting eyes. If you're close, the eyes are actually yellow. And I mentioned I saw a picture in, um, in the newspaper the other day on the op-ed page of a beautiful snowy owl, and you could see his eyes. They're really uh, wonderful-looking bird. Brent uh, referred to him as charismatic, and I can see that. And these are birds that have become uh, much more common as of last week, I think, or the week before last. They had counted four of them in Hampton Bays, uh, which is a pretty good number. Ours, the one we found, was not too far from there. And they uh, are coming all the way from the Arctic tundra. And I thought, well, gee, most owls kind of like, you know, are, are woodland or edge of woods, like a lot of predators are. They kind of lurk around the woods edge for uh, smaller prey that goes uh, out into fields and then back into woods to hide, like mice and such. 
but the snowy owl uh, is really attracted to beaches and very kind of barren and sparse areas, largely because uh, it reminds them of the tundra from where they uh, from where they come up in the Arctic. I'm curious, have those numbers changed at all with global warming? Like, are we getting fewer than in years past because they're staying up north or? Uh, well, um, that's a good question. And uh, the short answer is uh, we saw a spike in snowies uh, a couple of years ago. And it was uh, apparently a, a mild winter in the year before. And one of the uh, snowy owl's favorite meals uh, are lemmings. And it apparently was a banner year for lemmings. And the way nature works, when food supply is plentiful, uh, the species population expands and grows. Uh, and uh, what happened up in the Arctic was that there were so many young, so many fledged, so many young birds that uh, despite the fact that there was plenty of lemmings around, or at least I'm not sure a year later if there was, um, that the food competition got to be too great for the younger birds. So a lot of those birds migrated further south to find um, happier hunting grounds down here. And we've seen that, that we, so we've seen that trend continue. And I'm not sure if there is uh, a regular migration pattern now evolving for snowies, uh, if we're going to get more and more of them. Both uh, uh, Frank and Brent said that uh, they've noticed over the past couple of years uh, a lot more snowy owls down here. So it sounds like from what Frank was saying in the story, the, the bigger problem is the loss of habitat, um, that even climate change, and just that birds not having the habitat they need in order to thrive, and maybe that's changing migratory patterns. Is that right? Yes, exactly. He makes the point that out here on the East End, we're very, very fortunate. There's been an aggressive opportunity, a movement to acquire property, acquire land you know, through the CPF, the Community Preservation Fund. We have preserved an enormous amount of land. East Hampton Town out in Montauk, along with the state, has acquired, I think, I believe probably 50% of Montauk is preserved land. Uh, which is absolutely remarkable. And so there's no wonder that it's a great habitat. Other areas are not so fortunate. And uh, you're seeing loss of habitat occur all over the world. And certainly up north, if you go up Massachusetts, Maine, upstate New York, into Canada, woodlands are being destroyed, you know, taken down for lumber or whatever, uh, and not being replaced, many not being replaced. Development, human habitation taking over a lot of the space. But we have some very big success stories down here for us uh, because of the habitat that we have available to us and importantly, the food sources. And uh, a lot of the, we talked about this um, during uh, my conversations with uh, Terry and, and Frank about the return of uh, bunker fish, which has been a tremendous food supply for everything from whales and sharks to the two big bird species that we've gotten down here, which are eagles and ospreys. The ospreys have made a great return. Eagles are so plentiful now, and it wasn't too long ago that we only had a couple of nesting pair over on Gardner's Island. That was probably a decade or so ago. When they did the 
uh, Christmas bird count this past year, uh, Montauk, which includes uh, Gardner's Island and uh, much of the eastern part of East Hampton, there were 32 eagles counted. Wow. 22 of them alone on Gardner's Island. Wow. That's amazing. 22 eagles on Gardner's Island, 32 uh, eagles altogether. Wow. In, in that one area. Um, so, I mean, that's a tremendous success story. Yeah, the bunker have been a huge, um, a huge reason for all that stuff coming back, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other, uh, the other anomaly or the other weird thing, uh, uh, two weird things that are happening in the, or unusual things. Uh, one is um, uh, the growth in the vulture, the turkey vulture population, which uh, even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the only time I'd ever seen a vulture is if I was driving across the Throgs Neck Bridge on my way upstate and I'd see a few uh, flying over the throughway. Now they're hovering over Sag Harbor Elementary School, and it seems like every golf course I play. There's, I'm not sure if the, I'm not sure if there's some dark significance to the fact that there are vultures flying over. Yeah, you've done a vulture story. Like, what are they looking at? I always worry when I see vultures over yeah. <laughs> And uh, and the other new uh, new thing are ravens, and um, I haven't seen any ravens. Uh, Terry said he has. And, uh, but they're now countable uh, and there are, uh, uh, which never, ever, I think that might be a first ever that you uh, are starting to see ravens out here. I think there's quite a few over on the Shamek, another big piece of preserved land that I think has a lot of really interesting species going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bashamic is just a, a spectacular place. We talked about, and uh, this is the uh, the sidebar of the story that is uh, kind of like a uh, a, a user friendly way of uh, taking this information and then taking it out into the field. I spoke with uh, Frank and uh, Terry about some of their places to go bird watching. They didn't mention Mashamic, but I will because I I'm over there frequently, and they just have it's a great place if you're a birder, both meadows and woodland birds and sea ducks and that kind of thing. But Frank was mentioning if you are just getting into birding and you want to go out and and see what's happening, uh, especially this time of year, any of the ponds, freshwater or uh, any saltwater embayments, uh, Noyak Bay, Shinnecock Bay is is wild with birds. He happens to really like uh, Shinnecock area, either on Dune Road, if you're coming from the Hampton Bays area, or Meadow Lane, if you're coming from the, the Southampton side, because you have the ocean. It's a very fragile, narrow piece of land. Uh, we've got the ocean on one side and the bay on the other. Uh, Napeague State Park, uh, which is a new little state park out there, has a nice kind of mix of woodland and, uh, and beach area. And then Camp Hero also is a great place to go looking for birds. And there's also a cool app. Uh, you know, this, so most birders will refer you to the uh, Roger Tory Peterson guide. Um, Roger Tory Peterson, a famous birder and ornithologist uh, and artist, created a number of guides for, for birders. Great thing uh, to have, good pair of binoculars and a good camera. But there's also an app that you can get called Merlin, and uh, you get it through Cornell's School of Ornithology. Uh, laboratory of ornithology and it is an app that uh, you can put on your phone and 
It will identify a bird's song. So if you're out in the woods and you hold it up in the air, it'll identify the, uh, the bird for you. Or if you snap a picture of it, it can uh, help you identify just based on the photograph as well. That's very cool. That's so uh, cool. That's really neat. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com uh, Well, also on your sidebar, I also um, went on to the SOFO website and copied over, they have a number of bird walks coming up in the next couple months that people yeah. can take, um, including Joe Junta, who does that really cool owl walk where you go out at night and he calls in the owls and stuff, which is worth the price of admission. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Owls are, uh, uh, we're getting, so it's migratory. You get the short-eared owls, long-eared owls, the wet owls, northern wet owls. And we were talking about uh, habitat loss. And uh, one of the uh, losses that we've had are breeding uh, short-eared owls, which used to breed here on Long Island. But because of the habitat loss, they need a large area. And uh, there's only, only one area left on, uh, on Long Island large enough for them. And that's the Epcal Center up in Riverhead. It's the former Grumman property up there. Wow. And that's not even large enough to sustain them uh, breeding, but they, uh, but they do come down uh, while they're migrating and you can find them. I guess we used to also have um, barn owls, but those are all gone too because all the barns got torn down. So uh, we still have barn owls. Uh, a little bit. I've never seen one, really. Yeah, we uh, actually, uh, uh, my wife, Ellen Stoll, uh, uh, rescued one. Oh, yeah, it's got to be 20 years ago. So maybe we don't have any left, but. One, we yeah. have one. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> don't say plural. The bar now. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Time flies. So Georgie and Bill, do, do you guys ever do birding? Do you ever see, uh, are you guys out in the wild kind of people? So we've taken the kids to Morton, um, you know, and, and brought like some pumpkin seeds and, you know, had the chickadees land on our hands. And then when the larger birds start to take notice of us, Gavin's like, okay, time to uh, hit the road now. Um, so we don't do too much birding, but it is always something that we've kind of been interested in, um, you know, so maybe in retirement. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they have some good programs at SOFO. You could take the kids over and they would enjoy the owl thing, I bet. And they've got a nice field back there. They do. Yeah, uh, they, it's beautiful. Yeah, they do a lot of walks right around in the back there. Uh, and for yeah. kids, you know, little kids, uh, just to watch them behave. You know, I, I asked Terry one of the things that got him into it. And he said, well, you know, I just like being out in nature. But he found he was fascinated by the way. Uh, and if you pause and just take the time and look and observe and just watch how birds interact with each other and with other species. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's really fascinating. It's very zen, very, very anti-screen kind of activity. Absolutely. Well, except except for that new app, which, which for that. Has, <laughs> has, has, well, it, which actually has piqued my interest. And I think I'm going cool. to look for that. And that may 
you know, caused me to go out and, and I'm not being facetious here and, and, you know, kind of mix the, uh, the whole being outdoors and, and still being, you know, connected to my screen thing and, and put that <laughs> together. And that could be kind of, I bet Bill, I bet that what is that Indian that Indian Point Park near you probably has pretty good bird watching. I'm thinking I, I imagine they do. And and you know, and uh Apcal too is is a three minute drive away too. It, Where is that? Uh, is that out like near Wading River like that? Cal Calverton, yeah. Calverton. I don't know that place. What's the Epcal stand for? Oh, oh I forget. Boy, uh <laughs> trivia uh, question. It's something something Calverton. Uh, yeah. And, uh, oh, oh, park. It's uh, okay. Enterprise, okay. Enterprise Park. Enterprise. Calvary. There you go. Enterprise uh, park. Uh, There's okay. a former Grumman, and I mean, they still have runways and stuff there, and they've been doing. They do some activities there now. It's, there's a whole big. I don't want to get into the politics of it, of you know the town town ownership and development of it, and you know and all that. It's just been crazy for the last few years. Is that where they're doing the drag racing? They are doing the drag racing there. Is that legal? Yes, town town sponsored. Did you go up to see David? I did not go to the drag races. That's not kind of not my bag, but um, I could hear it. <laughs> so, what do you think, Brian? Where should, where should people go take a walk? Um, well, one of my favorite spots is Barcelona, uh, and we generally see you know cedar wax wings, and of course the uh, cardinals and a variety of uh, warblers. Uh, but it's also a good place normally to see uh, sea ducks. And then uh, we didn't talk about uh, wading birds like herons and egrets, which are plentiful. And uh, down there is not a bad place to go uh, look for them. Uh, and then uh, I agree, Shinnecock is just a, a great place. Ellen and I will take a ride oh, a couple of times a year. We'll ride along Dune Road uh, uh, or Meadow Lane. And, uh, and look for birds, not just snowies, but other waterfowl that, uh, that are around there. Also, your wading birds like your snowy egrets and the great blue herons. And of course, around Montauk. That's another big point. So. And around Montauk, yeah. I remember going out <clears throat> when we first moved out here in the, in the mid-80s, uh, going out with uh, Ellen and her brother, who is um, a, a great birder, and uh, bringing out telescopes and standing out on the point freezing our asses off, uh, but there were so many birds, just rafts and rafts of shorebirds. And you'd look over, oh, those are, those are eiders over there and those are buffaloes over there. Um, but hopefully next year, we'll get a good cold year and the birds will wanna come down and hang out. Mm -hmm. So plan now. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you out on the point. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.